Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to season three season of three. Paradox. God, it seems like only yesterday. And it was only about a year ago that we started. Seriously. So I'm We're Josh. Squeezing three seasons into like a year. <laughs> I like that. I'm Jimmy. And uh, we are extremely excited to have Lisa Bevere on the show today. I mean, Lisa, thank you so much. Guns. Absolutely. Thanks for being on. I'm thrilled to be on with you guys. So Lisa founded Messenger International with her husband. She is also a speaker, a blogger, and a newly crowned New York Times best-selling author. How about that? How does that feel, Lisa? You know what? I really wish there was a crown that came with that. I did not <laughs> get that. Did, was that supposed to have happened? <laughs> so Jimmy's just aimed for like a Northwest Austin bestseller, and <laughs> yes. he hadn't really even accomplished that. Or just like in within this building, <laughs> if I could be a bestseller. bestseller you know what? I'm going to just, you, you take it for this whole interview. <laughs> You yeah, are. Exactly. I did. I did an interview for and for a radio station somewhere back east, and they said, um, they said an internationally recognized author. <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> I think someone in Bangladesh bought a book. So yes. <laughs> so let's start off. We'd love to hear more about your ministry, Messenger International. Tell us about that. Okay. So basically, my husband and I, when we got married, we, you know, we began to dream together about what would it look like to have an organization that was solely focused on developing uncompromising disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we decided it would be an organization that would teach, but it would also be an organization that would reach and also rescue. So we, we are threefold on that. So we we travel and speak. I was at Jesus Culture this last weekend. I was at John Hagee's the weekend before. I was in the Dolby Theater, I think, a couple weeks before that. I mean, so we do, we do those kind of things. We travel and we speak, but then we also give away resources to people who cannot get it because of persecution or poverty. And so we're on schedule to have given away 16 million individual resources to leaders, uh, young and emerging leaders all over the world. Um, number one language that we get down downloaded is Chinese, and we've got Russian, Arabic, Farsi, Urdu, Vietnamese. Those are, tend to be the top ones. And then rescue. So we have funded the rescue of over a 1,000 girls caught in sex trafficking. We underwrite some of the expenses, and we just have the most amazing partners that make it uh, a possibility for them to do all that. So we teach Reach Rescue, and we do things near, and we do things far. Now, do you guys then work with, specifically for the rescue piece, other organizations that are able to do the aftercare? We work with organizations that are on site that have a long-term proven record. So, yes, we do. So, you know, at this particular messenger, uh, messenger Cup, uh, we're going to be working with Preemptive Love. They've been in Iraq for 10 years. So we're going to focus on uh, helping them. We're going to finance you know, basically the rehabilitation and help with 39 families. So we're going to just adopt them as an organization. And so we'll, we'll tend to do that. We find people that have been there 
doing it long before it was like the sexy cause. They actually care. They were doing yeah. something and we take it and we, you know, leverage our influence on their behalf. Uh, preemptive love is fantastic. And in fact, the the founders actually attended Howard Payne University, where Jimmy and I both went to school. Uh, Get out of here. Small, small school out in West Texas, uh, which is kind of crazy, but you know, they do really good work. Last week, I had some, when he said, where'd you go to school? And I said, Howard Payne. He goes, well, that, that's Ivy League, right? Said, yes, it is. I'm glad you know. It's internationally like recognized. Yeah, Ivy exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so the teach, reach, and rescue. Good. And how long have you guys been in existence? I think it's 25 years now. Wow. Wow. And how can people get involved? You know what? We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. People can go to our website, Messenger International, and we kind of customize projects for every single level. So if they said, hey, I want to be involved in rescue, or I want to make sure this book that touched my life, touch other people's lives, they can just pick it out and, and get involved. So messengerinternational.org, and I'll repeat that at the very end. So your latest book is entitled Without Rival. Kind of describe not only the book and its contents, but also whether, whether it was a life circumstance or, yeah, or what led you yeah. to write it. So, okay, so we had gone to South Korea, and there are people that do jet lag well. I am actually not one of them. And so I was finishing up a manuscript, and I fell asleep at my laptop. I know that because I woke up eight pages later of the letter oh. T. And I was like, okay, I think perhaps it might be a good idea for me to take a nap. So I went to go lay down, and just as I was falling asleep, I heard, I do not love my children equally. I was like, wait a minute. Did I bring home a blasphemy spirit from South Korea? God has to love us all the same. If he doesn't love us all the same, it is not fair. And I heard saying implies that one of you are replaceable. Equal implies that my love can be measured. He said, I don't love my children equally. I love them uniquely. And I began to immediately think back when I had my first son, I have four sons. When I had my first son, Addison, I was like, I want 20. I want so many children. I am so madly in love with my son. But then when I was later on in my pregnancy with my second son, I began to panic. I began to think, wait a minute. I've seen this stranger baby in a sonogram. I don't know if I can cut the love I have for Addison and Hap and share it with this baby I don't even know yet. I don't want to diminish my love I have for Addison. Well, you know, pregnant women are crazy near the end of their pregnancies anyway, but really that's not what happens. When you have that second child, you know, it doesn't diminish the love you have for your first God I showed me that actually a whole other portal in my heart opened up, and the things I love about Addison are very different than the things I love about Austin. God also knows I have a little bit of an overemphasis on word meanings. So when he said uniquely, I popped up, ran into my laptop, looked for that word unique, and the first tier of that definition was soul representative of. There is no one else who will represent God's love to this earth the way you were faceted to represent God's love to this earth. Second tier, prototype. We are not scheduled for mass production. We are the beginning and the end of you. Third one, though, was without rival, that there was no competition. 
that there was no one who could take your place at the table. And when I saw that without rival, it just exploded in my spirit. And I thought, that's the problem. Rivalry is robbing the body of Christ of individuals. We don't have this creative expression because we're so busy looking at what everybody else is doing. And over the last year, I got to speak to I don't even know, maybe 50 or 60,000 young people. And they would come up to me and they would say, I know that God's hand is on my life for something significant, but I have no idea what that is. And I would say to them, you know what? You will never discover what God has on your life looking at what other people are doing. I said, you can only discover that in the presence of your creator. And I said, I believe there's a generation called to do something that has never been done before, and that is why they don't know what they're called to do. And so the whole concept of without rival, I thought we have an identity without rival because we have a God who is without rival. You know, God is always saying there is no one like me. I am the beginning. I am the end. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That's not first place. That is all. And so I went through all of these different dynamics of who God is. Because he is almighty, we can be mighty. Because he is love, we can love. You know, all these different dynamics. And then I went to a promise without rival. And then the second section, you know, so I did all the positive things on the front end. Then I went to the second section of the purpose of rivals. Because the truth is, I have learned more about myself from my enemies than I ever have from my friends. And they expose things that I don't like. They show me what I don't want to be. And then the third section of the book was how to build a life without rival. This is, of course, an extraordinary message, especially for the 30s on down, because this, this, you know, a couple of this, this generation has been steeped in social media, which is, of course, nothing but 24-7 comparison. So when you try to convince a 16-year-old young lady that she is unique, when all she's looking at is how her life, her home, her clothes, all are in comparison to not just her friends, but people all over the country and the world, how do you break through a Facebook culture with this message? Well, you know, it's really interesting. I do think, I, I almost wish I could have you guys standing behind me. When I actually get up, And I say to a crowd, you don't know what you're called to do because you are called to do something that has never been done before. It hits them. And I say, you are being distracted by what everybody else is doing so that you don't know what you are called to do. And I I love that you brought that up because the truth is they don't even, I mean, they're hit on, they feel less than. They, They don't even, you know, they're like, no, I'm less than. You know, unique isn't, I don't, I don't even want to be unique. I am less than. And so you have to get them into the place of understanding who they are by understanding whose they are. So you have to connect them with a creator who preempts all the things that they have seen in creation. And so I find that that, you know, really actually positioning them, not telling them, but saying, I need you to say, well, I need you to pause. And I need you to ponder. I need you to ask God who he says you are. And then unpacking that as a concept. And and I do think it really helps that I am a Sicilian grandmother because everybody knows that grandmothers want something more. 
They want something more for the next generation. You know, we've, we've moved beyond the mother stage. We're like, we want something truly grand for you. And I was at Southeastern, and, you know, I talked to them. I said, you guys have such an astute ability to see what is wrong. And I'm so thankful that, you know, you're not endorsing certain things, but you have stopped there. I need you to figure out what is right. I need you to be that prophetic generation that comes alongside the older people. And together, the young and the old, the men and the women, we talk about the God visions and dreams, about what is a solution. We're not called to be critics. We're called to be prophets. And prophets actually have this ability to stand in the face of darkness and speak the word of God, speak the end of the story instead of the middle. You mentioned understanding. It's so important for people to understand whose they are. And that idea for me struck a chord in, in just the, the, the idea of positional worth and value, working away from this works-based worth and value system that so many of us, as well as our kids, kind of struggle with. How might parents unknowingly instill this kind of, whether it's through education or sports, how, how might they instill a works-based worth and value system within their kids? Well, I mean, yeah, even if they didn't, it's already there because of school and different things like that. So I think it actually requires a lot of intentionality to undo it. So, you know, my husband and I, we our first two boys, absolutely brilliant, smarter than both of us, AP classes, honor, you know, like we try to help them with their homework. They're like, mom and dad, we've got this. Then my third son comes along and he is a nightmare scholastically. I mean, the teachers are only passing him to get rid of him. His SAT scores are, they're just ridiculous. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's in special education. What did I do wrong? Did I not let him crawl enough? You know, and so we had to flip this whole script. <laughs> it was script. the uh, inorganic food, by the way. Yeah, it, yeah we fed him organic. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know what I do with my third one. You know, and so my husband just said, every time the school calls, the first thing I hear you say is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We worked on those spelling words forever. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. And he said, we cannot do that to Alec. Like, Alec, every single day at school is not celebrated. So we're going to have to figure out a way to celebrate his uniqueness at home. So we started saying things, and, and this is so uh, counterintuitive. We started saying things that didn't make sense. We started saying things like, Alexander, we love the way you think. And the other brothers were like, are you serious? He doesn't think. That is why he has D's and F's. He doesn't pay attention in school. He doesn't think. And as a mom, in my head, I was thinking, you're right. He doesn't think. Why am I saying this? <laughs> but then we just started saying, you know, no, no, no. Alexander thinks. He just thinks different. And I would love to tell you, two days, it was done. We had to be intentional about celebrating who Alec was uniquely. Alexander, we love the way you think. We love that you think different. Alexander, and it was so funny because his junior year in high school, he applied at Apple, the Apple store here locally. He was the youngest hire ever in the state of Colorado. He went from a specialist to an expert to a genius to a store manager before he was 20, and he ended up flourishing. And the whole theme of Apple is think different. So you might want to be careful about what you say, but we (laughs) began to speak things over our kids when they were very, very young. I remember being constantly compared with my brother or even with my friends. My mom would say, 
Why can't you be more like Marcy? Why can't you be more like your brother? Why are you so negative? Why are you so this? And so I, I had a little bit of insight that that was going to be counterproductive with my children. So this is what I did. I've, I've tried to pray. And again, John and I are first-generation Christian parents. So we're making this up as we go along. So we did a lot of things right by accident and, and a few things wrong on purpose. But we, you know, most of our things were correct by accident. We would tell our kids, you're for signs and wonders and miracles. You're going to see up close what your father and I have only seen at a distance. Mm-hmm. You're going to speak out loud things we only dare to whisper. You're going to lay hold of with your hands things we've only touched in prayer. And they would just look at us like, yes, I am. I mean, we tried to create a big world for them. And yes, we've been, we were, you know, we got saved in the 80s, which was an awful time to become a Christian. So yes, we put works on our kids. And then we would just have to say, you know what? We were wrong. We were wrong. God's love for you is not conditional on your performance. Now, capacity, that changes things. Like, you know, we like, we love you no matter what, but if you're going to be rogue with the lawnmower, we don't want you to get hurt, so you're not going to, you know, we're not going to give you that. Uh, if you have this kind of thing going on in your life, you're probably not going to be allowed to drive. You know, those kind of things, capacity yeah. and function, uh, we we were able to, to change that. But John and I kind of felt like we were on this learning curve with our kids, and now they're all, now this is what I love, all four of them, all four work with us, all four love us, all four love God. All four are better Christians than we are. It's really the truth. Now, kind of flipping this over towards marriage, how does this idea of rivalry, how might this play out within a marital relationship? Well, you know what? We have—my husband does not like to lose, okay? And and I don't like to feel controlled. So I have been a nightmare for him on on a lot of levels. And uh, so we, we did everything wrong in our marriage at the beginning. We've been married 35 years. And so we had to understand that we were not on opposite sides. And we we stopped being, you know, when you have a competition dynamic, you're experts in the other person's weaknesses. But when you have a, we're in this together, you become experts in the other person's strengths. And so I had to talk to my husband as though he was an ally. I had to start saying, I love how decisive you are. I love how confident you are. I'm just going to tell you, that's what I love. But it also makes me feel like I've been run over sometimes. I am for you. I am not against you. I am a guardian of your heart. If you tell me your heart, I'm going to hear your heart on a matter. And I also had to kind of become a, a dream interpreter for him so that I could understand what he was meaning to say, because I was attacking how he wasn't saying it well. So I would rephrase things. So are you saying to me, you know, and, and we both travel and speak, and that, you know, not most of my friends don't have that dynamic. You know, so it's a little bit of a, a dance. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit. So we, we had to be like we're on Team Messenger. We're not on Team Lisa or Team John. We're on Team Messenger. We're on Team Mandate. This is the mandate. And, you know, when it comes up, we, you know, we just talk about it. And, you know, again, being married for 35 years, we've had to learn how to stop fighting in our marriage and start fighting for our marriage, that we would, you know, be on the same page to move forward with things. I tell you, I think one of the more profound things you've said today is I learned to talk to my spouse like an ally. What an obscure concept (laughs) that they're not the enemy. 
And speaking of speaking of uh, marriage, you, you a couple of books back, you wrote the book "The Story of Marriage," and um, I just want to ask you one quick thing. You, um, I love this line on on your website. It says, "Once upon a time, marriage was forever." Yeah. What did you mean by yeah. that? Well, I just think that that dream's been lost, mm-hmm. and we we wanted to put that back into place. And and here's here's the reason why we wrote a marriage book. First and foremost, our children and our staff ask us to. And we were like, there's a ton of marriage books. Are you kidding? No, we don't need to be doing that. But then when we started looking at them, and I'm not criticizing anybody else's marriage book, but it kind of felt like they were restricting. They were kind of like, if you want to have a good marriage, it needs to be a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathroom like ours. And we wanted to give people permission to build according to their season, according to their dynamic, according to the mandate of God in their life. If they wanted to build a 10-bathroom, a uh, two-bedroom, so be it. But they needed to use the right raw materials of faithfulness and honor and love. And so we just wanted to kind of create a guideline so people could write their own story of marriage so that it would be forever. Because when I superimpose my marriage on somebody else's, I sometimes unmeaningly put them under the law. I put them under bondage. I, you know, I say, if you're not like us, then you're wrong. And that's, that's not true. You know, God, God is kind of specific about a certain things, but he gives a lot of artistic license about a number of areas. And this idea of without rival and learning to love each other uniquely can be such a, a profound message within that marital relationship. Lisa, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. If you would like more information from and about Lisa, uh, you can check out her and her husband's ministry website. It is messengerinternational.org. You can also find her on Facebook. Just search Lisa Bevere. Dot page, as well as Instagram and Twitter, is just at Lisa Bevere. Lisa, thank you so much. And, Have a wonderful day. And Lisa, J- Josh knows this. This is not extended to everybody. But when you and your husband are in Austin, Enchilada yeah. Zimas is on me. <gasps> I love that. That is, you're, you're in rarefied air <laughs> that you got an invite to Enchilada Zimas. He actually, he, he gets that invite to all of his favorite guests, and it literally has been everyone. <laughs> you just took away the special from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm attempting to love Jimmy uniquely. Yeah, thank you. Lisa, hey. we really do appreciate it. Lisa, thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. She was fantastic. Great. And to think she raised four boys and a husband. <laughs> Actually, she was swimming in a sea of testosterone. I don't know if you saw on her uh, history, but John, her husband, led her to Christ on their first date. Oh, wow. That's great. Isn't that crazy? So he probably, in a lot of ways, I don't know where he was, but you know, raised her, at mm-hmm. least spiritually. Pretty incredible, not only story, ministry, but also just a dynamic interview. She really is. I mean, she um, she she moves beyond so so much of what is just simply obvious. I was reminded of 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 Julie Carr's book, Raising an Original, as she was talking. But uh, I love this idea. I, well, first off, I love how God just worked in her to come up with this idea that He doesn't love us the same; He loves us uniquely. How great is that? When I was googling her to kind of learn about her. 
Because I'm a, a, a guy, and so... You're a Googler? Not really, you know, gone through a lot of Lisa Bevere books. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it, just, you can open it and just... Well, the first time I did open one of her books, uh, some estrogen just shot out and hit me in the eye. <laughs> and, and so I, I stopped. And what I found, in, in, since I didn't know her really well, is going through the kind of the Google information on her, she, <laughs> she was listed as one of the false teachers of the day. What? And someone, some moron. And do you know what her big sin was? That she preached. Oh, uh, female. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so glad that Lisa did not listen to people that have maybe two to three functioning brain cells and is doing what God's called her to do. I loved just understanding whose you are. I was dealing with a client this, I guess, late last week since it's Tuesday, and the idea of, he's probably 20, 21, you know, finding rest, not in your life circumstances, not necessarily in who you are and what you've accomplished, but understanding whose you are, both in relationship to Jesus as well as your relationships with your intimate people here on earth, that was freeing. It was incredibly freeing for him to 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 kind of hold on to that idea. So I, I think that idea of, of without or, you know, understanding whose you are in her without rival, I think is really important, no matter girl or guy. Uh, married kids. Uh, I just think that's key. Jimbo, any other points that kind of stand out to you? I love the when you are together, you become an expert in their strengths, not their weaknesses. Oh, yeah. Very nice. I'm excited about season three, and I'm also excited, and I don't know, you tell me, when we've got this interview coming up, but if you saw the movie Concussion with Will Smith, the doctor that he played... It's like Bennett Amalu. I think is how you pronounce his last wow. name. I'm very impressed. But we're going to be interviewing him about his new book. I'd like to ask him why he felt the need to ruin football for me <laughs> and why he snatched the dream from my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. JJ so will be playing. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, we have some good content episodes coming up. We also have some good interviews. I know Susie Davis is lined up. Yeah. Melanie Shankles lined up. And so... We are excited. And we're excited because Fearless Parenting is is on the shelves. I mean, I don't know if you'll find it on the shelves because it's flying. It's flying off of the shelves. But here's what I want you to do. If you're a friend, if you're a, a sweet, wonderful person, I would love for you to buy the book because... You don't have to read it. No, because this I've got this condo in Cabo mm-hmm. uh, that I'm trying to refurnish. Mm-hmm. And so if, more like a, a back house or a yeah, outhouse it, yeah. in Georgetown, Correct. That's 30 feet away from your But house. I do need it refurbished. Yep. 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 If you could go onto Amazon and uh, review it, that's the big, that's the big thing. Now you can't just buy a book. You have to review the book. So again, read it. Don't read it. It doesn't really matter. Put five stars <laughs> and then brag on me personally. <laughs> do you want to go ahead George and, Barna out of it? Do you want to go ahead and tell them how, what sentences to use in the review? This book has changed my life, and I can't believe how handsome the younger of the two authors. It's the Bible, fearless parenting, and and toe-to-toe with your team. The purpose-driven life. (laughs) Guys, if you want more information about this show, upcoming episodes, past episodes, it is paradoxpodcast.com. You can also find our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, both the shows as well as Jimmy's and myself. 
All of those are there at our website as well. We've experienced some growth on the show, and we appreciate you guys for um, sharing it. And we would ask that you guys would continue, if you receive anything from the ministry, continue to share it, or from the show, rather. Continue to share it, and we're uh, excited about Season 3. Absolutely. Peace out. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Yeah, so don't hate us here. In the Myers household growing up, we absolutely used sarcasm. No, we didn't. Hey, genius. No, we didn't. And for better or for worse, some By the way, you have more gas than the Hindenburg.